0: I want to give a shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto markets. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at Exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us on The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And we have a very special, timely episode of the show today. We have Alex Gladstein, the CSO of the Human Rights Foundation, on the show. An early adopter of The Scoop. You were on back in 2019. We were joking before we turned on the mics. Not a lot to talk about, right? Right. Post-Miami, you know, there aren't any countries making Bitcoin legal tender, just the same old stuff. That's kind of the the news of the week, right? So, And something you've been tweeting about. So let's unpack that. We kind of had, mm-hmm. last night, it become official, right? We were kind of waiting, will this bill actually pass? And yesterday, officially, El Salvador <laughs> became the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, meaning that all merchants have to accept it, you can pay your taxes with it. And we can maybe get into what exactly legal tender is. Mm -hmm. But I want to set the stage a little bit more for you because this kind of all happened after we had a call on on Monday, I think it was, about just Bitcoin as a payments network, right? We've gone Mm -hmm. through this bull cycle thinking about it as a store of value. The hedge funders say it's a store of value. So before we dive into the El Salvador news, I kind of want to start there, Alex, because you're you're kind of one of the proponents, if you will, of thinking, maintaining, and promoting Bitcoin as money, which mm-hmm. is something that's kind of gotten lost. So let's start there. How do you sort of think about the narrative shift that Bitcoin's undergone?
1: There's this great essay written by Alan Farrington called Wittgenstein's Money, and he poses this idea of like, you know, well, look, most people don't think Bitcoin is money, but but what if it w- was actually turning into money right what would that look like what would that seem like right and for me i've always thought that this is indeed what was happening and that it was a process where you would get certain properties of this thing first and then other properties later and these would be expedited by certain whether it be political social economic geopolitical uh, events and that's literally what we're watching unfold so to recap bitcoin Really emerged in the last few years, you know, as a widely understood store of value, or at least that was the narrative, right? And Michael Saylor tremendously accelerated that narrative, and obviously so did Elon Musk. Just in the past year, you now have not just individuals who've been using, you know, Bitcoin for a decade plus as a store of value, you know, as a way to appreciate purchasing power over time against other goods, but corporations too, right? And I think that was kind of where we were, was that Wall Street and all these other communities in, in finance and, you know, even in the media as well, we're starting to at least acknowledge, okay, fine, maybe it's not perfect at it, but clearly, you know, the digital gold narrative is, is kind of what we're working with here. But just like Michael Saylor was able to spark a transformation in the narrative, now you have Bukele, Naya Bukele from El Salvador, who's going to spark another transformation in the narrative, right? And here's where we really all have to start thinking about Bitcoin is not just an asset, uh, but as a network. I think, you know, Ross Stevens and Jack Maulers, they often talk about this very eloquently. Bitcoin is an asset. It is a really good store of value. It has gone from zero to $30,000 in its first decade or whatever. It's remarkable, but it does more than that, you know, and I, a lot of people are pointing this out that it's not just like a dumb rock, like it has these remarkable properties that allow it to enable connections between people in different places in the world. So I guess my argument is that we're, we're kind of entering this sort of next narrative phase of Bitcoin, what we perceive it to be, and it being enacted or adopted by a country, not as like a, an asset necessarily on the central bank balance sheet, but as legal tender, really interesting. And, I, I, you know, if you listen to everybody trying to break this down, you'll understand that that's not what they saw coming. Everybody did think, I mean, I thought, Balaji has thought, many people thought this was going to happen soon. A lot of Bitcoiners, maybe we didn't think it would happen in June 2021. But I think a lot of us thought it was inevitable that governments would start to acquire this thing on their balance sheet. And I still think that's inevitable. But for it to be adopted primarily... And they are going to buy, I was listening to him last night, the president explained this on Nick Carter's Twitter spaces, um, but, <laughs> but that, you know, they're eventually, they're committed to buying up to like $150 million of this thing. So, so oh, yeah, you know, it won't be in the central bank, it'll be in like a different entity. But the point is, they are going to do that. But, but to come after Bitcoin and understand it as a payments mechanism, first and foremost, I think it's a radical shift. It's really interesting and excited to be here to talk to you about it.
0: It's nice that we kind of had that call because I feel like we're sort of rehashing some of the same topics. So we're prepared, ladies <laughs> yeah. and gentlemen. We're, we're very prepared right now. Um, when we spoke, you mentioned kind of what needs to happen for that transformation to sort of work, where you go from store value to payments, the boxes that need to be ticked, maybe a country accepting or rather deeming Bitcoin legal tender is one of those boxes. Lightning developments might be another. But what other things need to happen for Bitcoin to be a viable payments network? Or is it already? Yeah, I think that in your view, you would say it already is.
1: Well, it's a combination of things, right? So, yes, on the one hand, technical infrastructure has to be in place for it to work as payments uh, network. You know, obviously, pre-Lightning network, it would have been hard to imagine Bitcoin in a high fee environment working as a payments network in a non-custodial way i mean meaning not possible okay but now we have the lightning network and it's getting more and more robust and it is the infrastructure backbone for strike and it is the way that people at bitcoin beach use bitcoin michael peterson was on the spaces last night as well and he was explaining this very well that people in el salvador and especially people in bitcoin beach generally speaking don't have a lot of money they're not interested in spending and i know the fees have declined a little bit but like 10 15 20 dollars on a transaction they can't afford that the average person and as peterson was saying like the average people experimenting with bitcoin in el salvador are not the elite in the jet setting they are like kind of people on the lower end of the social strata and and they don't have uh money to burn right so lightning is huge for them so he was explaining how folks there at bitcoin beach and in the surrounding communities and as this thing is like growing through el salvador and reaching into Guatemala and other countries and reaching the desk of the president and and getting this, uh, really just jumpstarting this whole geopolitical process, that it's really lightning that made it possible. And I think that's really important to understand. We had to have the lightning network be robust enough. You have to have the UX on the mobile apps that's slick enough. I mean, now we have Moon M-U-U-N wallet designed by guys in Argentina. I, I gave an example of sending a lightning transaction on stage with Jack Dorsey uh, in Miami last week. It's slick. It's seamless. It's beautiful. We didn't have that two, three years ago. It didn't exist. And then you need the the merchant side, right? And that's the tricky part. I actually wrote a paper in the Cato journal, came out this quarter. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, you know, if Bitcoin is going to take the role of cash, is going to inherit the, role, the social role of cash, you know, it needs to be able to do small transactions. And the jury was sort of out, right? It's like, why would people use their Bitcoin for small transactions unless they sort of had to in a way because if you know it's this digital gold and you know it's going to appreciate you have less incentive to use it right you have less incentive to use it but if all of a sudden merchants are accepting it and it's being encouraged or even desired then we shift from this again this digital gold narrative that so many of us thought about Mm -hmm. where we were thinking about Gresham's law which is this idea that like bad money drives out the good and we're going to use fiat for spending and kind of like, let's use our depreciating fiat and, and save our Bitcoin. That, that you know, now may be changing, right? So I again, well, what's,
0: well, well, go ahead. What might end up happening is, this is going to obviously be the case in El Salvador, but in other places across the world, maybe in the next few years, even if Bitcoin isn't legal tender, mm-hmm. people are going to demand Bitcoin as a form of payment. So people are going to have no other choice but to, in this sort of, world you're envisioning but spend their bitcoin
1: yeah i mean again you know this could be one of these historic events that is unpredictable unforeseen and not uh, not gradual it's a sort of a step function here where all of a sudden maybe we go to what's called tier's law which is kind of uh, the opposite of gresham's law which says that good Mm -hmm. money drives out the bad right okay so maybe merchants now with the encouragement (laughs) And we can get into that, but you know, how the bill works and how, how it may function. But with the strong, strong encouragement of the El Salvadoran government, okay, well, maybe now merchants want your Bitcoin and maybe they don't want your dollars. And and maybe there's even a premium that shows up where it says, you know, we're willing to Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin accepted here is now going to be like a national thing in El Salvador, but it'll be like, maybe some merchants will be willing to give a slight discount just to get your Bitcoin to incentivize you to give it. So once you as a user are incentivized or forced to, meaning if the merchant only wants Bitcoin, you know, uh, then this this idea of like you only saving the Bitcoin and spending the fiat changes, right? And again, I think that a lot of people thought that was way down the road, maybe into the future, but we're getting a step function change here potentially. And, you know, look, we, did, we have seen already like some people trying to sell their homes in the United States for Bitcoin, Bitcoin only, et cetera that's just gonna continue to increase. But this is like a major, major change in that. And I just think it's funny that we're, I mean, we're watching this happen in front of our eyes. We're watching this government do this. And just a couple of months ago, you know, the main, I don't know, people were talking about how the governments were gonna ban Bitcoin. (laughs) I don't don't know, man. I think I was, I argued in an essay for Quillette in February that it would be much more likely that they would actually buy it and adopt it because of the incentive structure. I'll explain that briefly because I think it's important. What you yeah. had here is, is incentives at work, right? And that's, that's what sort of Bitcoin runs on are, are these incentives. And, you know, as opposed to what reason would Bukele have to like ban Bitcoin? Okay. So we have those, those reasons. All of a sudden he realizes if he does this, he's going to be famous. And no one had heard of this guy really outside of Latin American politics. And if you had family in Latin America or lived in El Salvador, he wasn't like well known no, five days yeah. ago. I, mean, I had never heard of him. Yeah, I mean, exactly, Frank. <laughs> so so now he's going to be world famous. He's going to be world famous. He knows that. In a weird way, Bitcoin kind of knows that. It kind of like latches into your uh, self-interest. And and yeah. it, it, it's weird to think about, but it kind of does. And he's now committed. I mean, it's one thing for Elon Musk, who's already famous, right? To like, yeah. oh, I can go back and forth on this wishy-washy. No, no, no. This guy's not, this is, this is why he's famous, right? So this is part of identity yeah. now. And... You know, his friends are
0: going to stop returning his call soon now that he's a Bitcoin guy. You know, he's going to yeah, drive him. Nuts. Not at
1: all. I bet his DMs are packed, man. I mean, people want to talk to him now. He's famous. They want their photo with him. Like he's it's crazy because he has all of these other, you know, possibilities here. Like, again, he might just have done this for narcissistic self-interest. But I mean, his country is now a geopolitical first mover. OK, right. So. And there's going to be a target on their back for that. I know he's got, he told us he has a meeting with the IMF tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. I mean, I think a lot of us are expecting pushback from American foreign policy, from Mm -hmm. the IMF. We'll see. I mean, it's not the 1970s anymore. Like, I don't know how powerful the U.S. can be in exerting its monetary kind of domination around the world. We're all watching. But the point is, he's got like a whole bunch of different incentives now to keep this going. And all of a sudden, as we've all seen this remarkable array of like other Latin American politicians, like across literally the whole hemisphere yeah. from, from Argentina to Mexico Dominoes are, falling. are all coming out and saying, we should do the same thing. Now, we have no clear evidence that that they're going to do it today or tomorrow or whatever. But, you know, we had the. I think he was the CIO, sort of the chief innovation officer of, of Colombia. And he was on the spaces last night and he was saying that they're really excited about doing something like this and that they have a ton of Bitcoin use in the country. And a lot of it has to do with Venezuelan refugees and and that they have a lot of reasons to want this. So, I mean, that's a, that's a government official from a very large, very important Latin American country as well. So, So we'll see. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting factors here, but I just think it's interesting to reflect now that we're in the summer of 2021, when a few months ago, everybody was like, oh my God, the government's going to ban Bitcoin. And like, that's become a lot more shaky of a position to hold.
0: So let's double click on that. It's funny, in Miami, the panel I moderated with Mike Novogratz and Mike Belshi was just a few hours or maybe a day. I don't remember the timing. Everything's kind of a blur before the El Salvador announcement. And he was talking about regulators and said, basically, the moment we start Talking about Bitcoin as money instead of store value, this is Novogratz's mm-hmm. words, you're going to put a target on the back of Bitcoin yeah. or on the back of folks operating in the Bitcoin space, those third party custodians or trading firms. Okay, so that kind of was an argument that existed pre El Salvador. Can it exist post El Salvador? Or, you know, how does the El Salvador thing change this idea of? If Bitcoin's money or a right. payments network, the US regulators are going to want to ban it, is kind of trite, but at least crack down on it in some capacity.
1: So, precisely, we again, with the digital gold narrative, you have Wall Street folks who are excited about Bitcoin, the asset, who were working to try and like convince the US government that it was this like safe asset that, you know, might be volatile, but like, Hey, man, we should get an ETF going like they're like, look, it's like something that Americans are going to want to invest in. We got, what, 40 million Americans invested in this thing. And they're like pushing, pushing Bitcoin as this like investment. And yeah, they're worried about other applications, let's say, and features of Bitcoin. They don't want to necessarily harp on those too much because they're like trying to work with the U.S. government to normalize this into our financial system. So I, I get their perspective. But we've now, again, the game has changed a little bit. So in the same way that they're not usually underlining in their conversations with regulators, the fact that Bitcoin is like pseudonymous and programmable and you can do coin joins and lightning is like much more privacy protecting and all that stuff. That's, (laughs) those are not their talking points. They're like, look, you know, it's a good inflation hedge or whatever. Now, again, you have like a narrative shift where government is, is adopting it for payments and not, not necessarily for savings. And that, that is, yeah, that's going to open things up in a big way. It's going to put a lot of attention on the Lightning Network, where I think it is robust enough to handle this, but we're going to need a lot more help. So there's going to be tons of new hires being made. I think a lot of the companies in the space are going to start to really think about their Lightning side of things. Um, Some uh, exchanges, obviously, like OKCoin and Paxful and Kraken, you know, either had already enabled Lightning withdrawals and deposits or were like on their way. I think this is going to hopefully expedite a lot of that. There are both uh, scalability, efficiency uh, and and privacy reasons to want to encourage the use of Lightning. You know, again, this is a way to use Bitcoin without an on-chain transaction. So that's good for avoiding a surveillance state. It's good for the environment. It's good for a lot of things. So we're excited about, you know, Lightning and all of a sudden now there's like a huge National kind of use case where it sounds like, from what we understand, they're going to hire Strike, not like Bitco or some big corporation. They're going to hire Jack Mahler to build the app for this country. And if you know anything about this guy, you know he's obsessed with the Lightning Network. And this thing's going to run on the Lightning Network. And that's going to create so much liquidity for the Lightning Network. That's going to create a lot of more users. And what the Lightning Network needs right now is more channels, more users, better interfaces. I mean, As it is, like, again, like the fact that I can just copy an invoice from a URL on, I can just go to like somebody's strike page, their tip jar, essentially. And I can just scan a QR code. And from my non-custodial Lightning wallet, I can just pay them is remarkable. And I think that's what's really interesting here. When you start thinking about the international implications of this, is that these folks in El Salvador are either using you know, a non-custodial kind of open source Bitcoin lightning wallet, or they're using Strike, either way, they can receive a payment from anybody in the world instantly. That is just like, that's revolutionary. Now I know with Strike, it's custodial. I know it's actually denominated in USDT. Uh, You know, your main account is kind of like protected against volatility. But anybody at any time can just withdraw that to their own wallet, right? So it's like, Almost this um, phenomenon there, where people have like a checking account and a savings account. They may have Strike, which is like their neo bank, as Jack calls it, mm-hmm. um, and it's huge because it means they don't have to go on a bus three hours anymore to a Western Union and then risk getting robbed if they don't have a bank. They could just use their phone as their bank, and and the numbers that on that are interesting because seventy percent of the country doesn't have a bank account, but more than 50% of the country has has internet access. So there is like a significant overlap there of people who, whose lives are being changed as a result of this. And then, you know, they can sit there and they can keep their money and they can trust strike. Okay, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe now that the government's backing strike, maybe you have more faith in it. We'll see. That seems like a reasonable assumption to make. But you don't have to trust anybody. You can with, just withdraw your asset to your own wallet and you can Control that with your own seed phrase, right, and your own password, and you can you can have private property. And I just think that this revolution happening in El Salvador is so exciting because these people have been through so much. I mean, just decades of strife, civil war. Uh, It was recently the country with the highest murder rate in the world. Really hard to attract foreign investment. All of a sudden, now they're in the spotlight, and now the government has this mandate and a, a mutual interest from like wealthy people developers, builders, real estate uh, folks, and they're all gonna come in. So it's a really, really kind of transformative moment, I I think in, in different ways.
0: I want to give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance and market risk, with some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations. On June 22nd and the 23rd, Aventus and the Association for Digital Asset Markets will be co hosting a premier virtual conference, Shining a Light on Digital Asset Markets 2021. Visit AventusSystems.com today to register for this event so you can hear from the key regulators and thought leaders in digital assets. I have to give a shout out to Kraken, one of our sponsors. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24 seven. Simply download the Kraken app, connect to your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Visit kraken.com slash scoop now to learn more or search Kraken in the app store. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere and maybe the best part exodus is integrated with trezor hardware wallet making advanced security easy for everyone download exodus at exodus.com today it's kind of funny how the impact that bitcoin could have on el salvador is similar to what you know, these fintechs have seen when they add Bitcoin buy sales to their app, an increase in users, an increase in trading, yeah, volume, cash and revenues, app. cash app is a good example. I want to double click on sort of the government aspect, and then maybe we can get into some of the granularities of the bill. Yeah. So do you think at the end of the day, we kind of laid out the foundation here, does this move by El Salvador make the US government more cozy or wary of Bitcoin?
1: Yeah. So I, I want to talk about kind of human rights at two levels. One is the geopolitical level, and then one would be the domestic level. So at the geopolitical level, El Salvador is a dollarized country. I guess you could call them kind of like a client state of the U S in many ways, 22% of the economy is reliant on remittances from the United States. They're very connected. Uh, Bukele had a very good relationship with the Trump administration. It's not clear. He has such a good relationship with the Biden administration. Um, mm-hmm. They are recipients of a lot of IMF aid. IMF, of course, is, is sort of steered by the U.S., and in, in many ways, they're just sort of at the mercy of the United States, right? So, I think there's reason to believe that this, in some ways, is is them kind of. I don't. Know, I don't know if pulling the ripcord is the right uh, phrasing, mm-hmm. but kind of like distancing themselves a little bit from the U.S., creating mm-hmm. an alternative, creating a kind of a different way of doing things. And what I thought is so interesting is that when countries used to try and distance themselves geopolitically from the U.S. in the last four or five decades, they would turn to communism, man. And that's not good. Communism's not good. Okay, now you're turning to Bitcoin? That's fucking awesome. Like, are you kidding me? Okay, so like, you know, you hear about the non-aligned movement, you think about all these like rebels and all these places and how they were turned by communism, basically the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. You had Castro, Mugabe, all these people were like liberation heroes for their people. And then they went the wrong way. Mm -hmm. They went down this road of confiscation, violent redistributionism, all this stuff. Well, guess what? Bitcoin is the opposite of that. It's gonna give the people in El Salvador property rights that can't be taken. It's gonna allow them to earn, receive, Uh, store and spend money on their own terms. It makes debasement impossible and it makes confiscation remotely impossible and it makes censorship impossible. And it it makes confiscation generally very hard, like much, much more Mm -hmm. hard. So I think that's a sea change that needs to be talked about. But essentially, yeah, I think like the U.S. is going to be concerned here. I think they're going to push back a little bit. But I mean, I talked with some folks in the State Department and like, I just don't think people are ready for this. I don't, they know, they don't know anything about Bitcoin. They're very, like the state department was all in on the blockchain stuff. They don't know much Mm -hmm. about Bitcoin. I don't think they're ready for this. So there's a lot of people reading up about Jack Mahler's right now and about what, what is Bitcoin and what, what is this thing? So just in sum, at the geopolitical level, we have a power shift potentially here where this kind of brash young. Guy is, again, creating like a geopolitical step function here where he's starting this sort of uh, what we would call the Bitcoin arms race. Um, And he may not know it. Again, this could be a totally narcissistic, self-interested action, but he might be giving his country a big kind of first mover geopolitical advantage. But but again, it comes with huge risk because the U.S., the IMF are not going to like it. But I also wanted to talk about the domestic human rights situation because I think that's important to a lot of people. Generally speaking, everything is shades of gray in human rights. There's like Norway to North Korea, right? Everybody else is in between. This country should be seen in context. The current party is a result of people being disaffected with the other options, which are A, Marxists on the left, and B, ultra right-wing party, okay? So this is like a new millennial-powered party. It is Popular among younger people, not popular among older people, religious people, etc. And they're very brash and very nepotistic. It's like a family kind of thing. And they have overstepped their bounds, definitely, on the democratic process. I'll just give two examples for the listeners so they can judge it themselves and think about what it would be like if Biden did this. But, uh, you know, they sacked two justices, right? Supreme Court justices a couple months ago. And you know, they claim that they were corrupt, but you know, if Biden just tried to delete two Supreme Court justices right now on claims that they were corrupt, I don't know how that would fly here. Again, different context, everybody needs to go and do their own homework here. The one that was a little more alarming that I'll just mention is last year, he brought the troops into the parliament to force them to sign a bill. So imagine again, Biden bringing in the military into uh, Congress to force them to do something. So. We'll just go ahead and call this person someone who has shown authoritarian behavior. I guess my my take is that I always thought that the first movers on this were actually going to be kind of like rogue regimes. Like, like we're not talking El Salvador, which is tame in comparison. I thought we'd be talking <clears throat> like Iran or North Korea or something like that. So El Salvador, dot lots of issues, lots of human rights issues. Uh, also, very difficult place for the LGBT community. They have some other laws that are... Yeah. Very not friendly for human rights.
0: Obviously, something that a lot of people when they see this news think about is the fact that, you know, you have all of these Bitcoiners, Bitcoin enthusiasts to a degree, galvanizing around and supporting someone who has a less than rosy, putting it lightly, human rights record. And, you know, I think folks who might be listening, given your background, might be ask you, you know, how is this good news if the person behind it is sort of someone who has this background? How do you sort of reconcile the background of this character with the positive message or the positive action that might come out of this news?
1: Absolutely. I mean, he's he's someone who we should condemn for the human rights violations he's committed, and we should be watching him very carefully, and we should not be celebrating him personally. So... I hope no one's doing that. But someone said this the other day, and I thought this was this was fitting. King John was a reprehensible character too. I am unconcerned he found it attractive enough to sign the Magna Carta, okay? So there are going to be, throughout the course of human history, as we decentralize, there are going to be conservative actors who who do things that, whether they are forced to do it or they don't understand that long-term implications of it are going to help decentralize and empower people. And that policy should be celebrated. So this policy should be celebrated. The policy maker should not be celebrated. I, mean, I think that's the way we need to just differentiate here. I mean, you do need to understand that this is going to encourage, not just encourage, but force in some cases, the use of a currency that Bukele doesn't control, cannot debase. Is going to have a really hard time confiscating, won't be able to censor. You know, this is basically a demonstration of him choosing a system he can't control for the incentives. And this is Bitcoin at work. And we've seen it do this before. We've seen exchanges adopt lightning to save fees, not to improve privacy. We've seen corporations and rich people on Wall Street buy Bitcoin, not for the cypherpunk values, but to get rich this is bitcoin's incentive structure it doesn't matter why you adopt it or why you push it but it's empowering other people and it couldn't apply more perfectly here
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um let's let's maybe pivot and kind of unpack we've looked at a high level what this bill is and the significance of it but maybe let's explore some of the granularities of it and maybe what you find surprising interesting or controversial
1: yeah, well, it's interesting because I think there's a little bit of the a, a baby being thrown out with the bathwater here by some people. They're really focusing on a couple different parts of the bill. But in general, I mean, it's just like obviously striking that Bitcoin's being legalized in this country is, you know, unrestricted legal tender with liberating power, unlimited in any, any transaction. They're talking about how the exchange rate with the dollar is going to be set by the free market. Prices can be expressed in Bitcoin. Taxes can be paid in it exchanges in Bitcoin will not be subject to capital gains tax that like any legal tender, that's huge. Okay. They're still using the dollar as the sort of unit of account. Right. But, uh, you know, those are kind of the big ones that the government's adopting it, that you don't have to pay taxes on it. If it goes up, that's going to attract a lot of attention. Now, the little debate that's happening right now is on article seven. So article seven says, Every economic agent must accept Bitcoin as payment when offered to him by whoever acquires a good or service. So people are uh, interpreting this as like a coercion, right? And I think that's fair. Uh, However, it should be seen in in conjunction with Article 12 that says, those who by evident and notorious fact do not have access to the technologies that allow to carry out transactions in Bitcoin are excluded from the obligation expressed in Article 7. Uh, The state will promote the necessary training and mechanisms so that the population can access Bitcoin transactions. I mean it's not quite as cut and dry, right? Like if you don't have a Bitcoin wallet, you're not going to be forced to pay in Bitcoin, right? It's also just like super unclear how this is going to play out day to day. And I'm going to be part of the international... Movement that's looking at this carefully to make sure that nobody is like in trouble for not paying in Bitcoin. And I don't really see that realistically being the outcome. I don't think that's what they're having spent like an hour talking to the guy last night or whatever. I don't think that's what they're trying to do here. I I don't think they're trying to arrest people if they don't use Bitcoin. I think what they're trying to do here is aggressively increase the adoption of this thing. And they're going to try and get the equipment out there to people, they're going to try and help people download it. That's my general impression. And I know it's like too nuanced for Twitter, basically. But like when you think about how Bitcoin works, like, I mean, it requires like time and effort. Like, you have to download the wallet and stuff. And like a lot of people, that's going to take them a lot of time to figure out. And Article 12 is basically protecting those people. So if you don't want to deal with it or it's too complicated or you can't figure it out, like it says in Article 12, you're going to be okay. So it's a little bit of a transitionary period, but clearly this is a government using its power to try and expand the use of Bitcoin in its nation for its goals. I guess, you know, my reaction to this is A, no one should be compelled to use Bitcoin. So we should push back on that and hopefully they can, you know, de facto not enforce this. That would be like the idea. And I think that based on the conversations that uh, I've heard the president have and the fact that he's hiring Jack Maulers to do this stuff instead of some megacorp, I think we as the community have an opportunity to, to ensure that hopefully that that's the case. Um, but again, the other thing is that they are jumpstarting the on-ramping of people into this, not just asset, but also network and payments device that, that again, is going to tremendously empower people. And again, this is a country that's basically like a client state of the U S like everybody down there, and this is worth focusing on is kind of at the mercy of the U S and when the U S prints a lot of money that really affects them. Jack Mauler, you know, went into details on this in his presentation in Miami when he announced this, but you know, they get sort of disproportionately affected by sort of the devaluation of the dollar because they don't own U S assets. They don't own stocks. They don't own real estate in the U S like they don't own all the things that are like skyrocketing in value. They just sort of own the money itself and it gets strong and it's a strong dollar is is good uh but when it gets weaker man like not not so good if it's the money you're using so it's giving people an alternative so i do think it's quite nuanced i think we should look very closely at article 7 we should continue to like watch this guy's track record and what he does but you got to know that the big picture here is tremendously good for human rights and global freedom like the zoom out here is breathtaking to be honest
0: yeah so if we kind of look at that as the foundation of what this is The question that's interesting to me is, at the end of the day, does this move by El Salvador, which is one of the myriad countries that have U.S. dollar as legal tender, there are many others, does this make the U.S. more uncomfortable or more comfortable with Bitcoin as a payments network? Because you could imagine a world where potentially You know, it it starts with El Salvador, and then you go to, you know, the several other countries that have U.S. dollar as their currency, from Panama to Ecuador, many of which are in Latin America, Zimbabwe is one in Africa, there are several companies, I would say this makes them uncomfortable, but I'm curious what your thoughts are.
1: We I mean, the reason I say I hope so is not not just for the people of these countries, but for the protection of this kind of plan, because This is very bold this person could have stayed on the dollar standard this person could have created an altcoin or whatever god knows what they didn't they chose bitcoin which they know that they cannot control and they're introducing the bitcoin standard to el salvador that is a major threat to the dollar system it might seem small today but you know we'll see now in history i'm not proud of everything america's done that's for sure And look, when people tried to do stuff like this in the 70s and 80s, there was like a mysterious plane crash that would happen the next day. And, you know, that leader's gone. I don't think we live in that world anymore. And I don't know we can throw our weight around like we used to in that way. So I think it buys some time here for this person and this nation. And I think you're watching potentially, if you start seeing a couple other countries do this. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's too much, right? If it's just one country, if he kind of like remains... Only the Michael Saylor, and no one else buys, right? Like, kind of, if we saw Saylor do this conference in February, thought everybody was going to, you know, and then it's been kind of, like, quiet since, right? Everything's kind of quietly happening. If he is the marked man, then, yeah, it's going to be a real tough ride for him, I think. But I don't necessarily know if that's the case here, judging from what I've seen. Looks like a lot of other countries are interested in doing something similar. So we'll see. But, yeah, I just wanted to take pains to try to draw the distinction between, like, the... Of domestic human rights situation and that sort of like more like geopolitical situation with regard to dollar kind of hegemony and the sort of great powers thing here i mean and look they could have gone with china man they could have gone with the digital yuan you know or something like that i am so happy that they're going with bitcoin i mean they could have chosen a coin that they controlled and could surveil and confiscate and you got to realize how shocking this is because that is the direction that governments are going in they're Christine Lagarde is saying the digital euro is not going to have privacy. It's not going to have this. It's not going to have that. Like they're going to have negative interest rates. They're going to force spending. Chinese government already has all that in spades with its DCEP project. And you could have easily had this guy come out and said, we're going to do that. And we're going to force it. We're going to force it into the... uh," And he didn't. He went with freaking Bitcoin. And it's like really crazy. And people just... I just don't think they're thinking through this completely, yeah,
0: and you know, I bet to a degree the enthusiasm and excitement around this news has probably blinded people from the full scope of what it means to a degree
1: or or, or the critics are caught up in like the little like the details here, and the amount of cope I'm seeing is, is kind of hilarious, but like you know, people who are people who are struggling to find an upside here. I mean, man, they're just looking in the wrong place. Like the upside, this could have been a freaking surveillance coin. Like, the, I mean, that's what he—that's sh- what we're all headed towards, folks. Like in all countries, we're going. We're, you know, our countries are going to make these digital currencies that are central bank digital currencies that aren't going to be friendly for civil liberties. This guy pressed the play button on Bitcoin, which is like freedom money. I mean, it is—it is, it is stunning. It is stunning, Frank. Yeah.
0: Exploring the geopolitical human rights angles of this is so fascinating. I appreciate you coming on the show again, even though it took two years. Hopefully we'll have you on back soon. And, you know, who knows what this will bring in the next few months. So we'll have to have you on again, hopefully sooner than two years. Thank you, Alex, for coming
1: on. See you soon. Thanks for having me.